welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rain. The living dead. The cursed city. Where the gates of hell it is, it gives the dead the appearance of life. Oh, it is not the appearance of life, it is life. This is not magic, as you say. I am a scientist. We'll tear your soul apart. <laughs> Get me back my head! Get me back my head! Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Retro Blood as we continue our month long review of everything Hellfire here on the Retro Blood. Up next, we are Hellbound by Hellraiser 2. We are, we are back with the Cenobites. We are, we are going to different layers now. We have Lothiathan. He has finally showed his face. We, we found a little bit more backstory for our pinheads and, and our crew. We have J.A. Allison, James Klein. What's happening, man? How do you feel about this hey. torture porn that we've been watching? Hey, what's up, man? Um, I'm a huge fan of torture porn. Um, this is, um, you know, uh, we're still in hell. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I can't decide if I like this movie or not. Um, I keep going back and forth on it, and I'm sure we'll talk about that as we get into it but um so far I'm, I'm 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 enjoying our uh our stay in hell so far yeah i am too you know uh it's funny because the the hellraiser series was never really on my radar a lot you know i think we yeah. talked a little bit about this on the, the last episode we did you know it's, it's to me it's one of those franchises that obviously it's a huge franchise because they made like a thousand movies of these things um, but it's, it's just for some reason never been in my radar, but you know, now that we're exploring it, we're checking it out, you know, I'm the same with you. Like, I don't know how I feel about this movie either, but I, I like the, uh, I just like, I like some of the dialogue. I like some of the, the, the Cenobites, the, the I like the look of the film. You know what I mean? Like, I think the, uh, yes. the scenery, the look, the costume designs, it, that that stuff is pretty cool looking. So that that's been really great. You know, it does have a little torture porn stuff. This is not the most torture porn movie I've ever seen before in my life. But you know, maybe it's like their predecessor to all the what what, what we get later on. Um, and, you know, and obviously, you know, we are just doing the Hellraisers that are in the eighties. You know, I'm pretty sure they get more gruesome as we go to different decades and stuff but you know for this time period you know hellraiser was probably one of those movies where it's like you know we're pushing the boundaries over here a little bit yeah i mean that's true i mean hellraiser definitely pushed boundaries when it came out although i don't i don't know if, i mean i haven't seen them i mean i don't think i've seen past number three but i don't know i would be surprised if they get more gruesome than this like more gory um but then like um I don't really think these movies are that gory um, compared to some other stuff that was out around the same time. Some stuff that we're going to get on into later on in the, in the month is going to be way more gory than this. Ooh, wow. um, 
but um but i mean you know it i don't know like i feel like the torture porn thing like i guess this would be kind of like the beginning maybe of torture porn like i think like you said but it's just so like um exaggerated mm-hmm. that it's hard to like get the visceral feeling out of you that torture porn should have yes like torture porn i feel like is a very fine art and it's really hard to do it really well um but you know this is this is kind of like that though but it's so exaggerated and so out there it's really hard to it's really hard for it to scare you because it's just so exaggerated are you telling me that a slimy 80s demon that takes over your brain is exaggerated? That part I actually liked a whole lot. Um, the thing that the exaggerated part is like where the changes come out of nowhere and they're not attached to anything, but then somehow they, they just fly out of nowhere and hook into you and then rip you to pieces, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's just so like, like I feel like it could be more um maybe realistic is not the word but it could be more it could be more like things that people are going to be actually afraid of which is what makes torture porn good. Torture porn is good because it's it, it's something that it's a fear that certain that some people or a lot of people have about things that could happen to them. Um but you know so I mean you know this is still really like really supernatural. You know where torture porn is more like down to earth like you know, I'm just this fucked up guy who, you know, kidnapped you and did bad stuff for to you before I killed you. Yes, I definitely agree with that. But we got more to talk about than different torture porn coming on <laughs> over here. We actually have the the history segment of the Retro Blood, the old famous history segment. So this movie was released December twenty third, nineteen eighty eight. So what we do here on the Retro Blood, we always talk about what was happening around metal music and wrestling during this particular time period. So this is very interesting. It's very interesting to see this style of horror movie come out two days before Christmas. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. <laughs> is this I was going to ask you if you'd ever yeah. heard of anything like that. All I picture in my head right now is Pinhead with a Santa Claus hat on for the poster. <laughs> Even though this movie had like nothing to do with Christmas, nothing to do with that at all. I mean, can you just imagine like what that meeting was like? Like they're, you know, they're just like, you know, we have Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Why don't yeah. we just put that out at Christmas time? Yeah. They're like, you know, like, oh, Christmas sounds about good, you know, but it's kind of home for the holidays. <laughs> they're getting their presents going on. You know, they're getting all excited about Santa and stuff. They're getting all excited about the reindeer. You know what would be good? Let's go watch Hellraiser 2. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can really think of is that typically the Christmas season is a very busy movie season, just like the summer is now. So, um, you know, people want their big movies to come out either in the summer or at Christmas. And the, the fall is a dead time of the year. So, like, a lot of horror movies traditionally came out in the fall, but had, it had really honestly had really nothing to do with Halloween. It's just that that's a time of the year when they didn't have to compete against big blockbuster movies. Yeah. So your little horror movie had more of a chance of getting people to watch it. Um, You know, but the only thing I can think of is that the first movie did so well for them that they were like, let's just put this out at Christmas. This will be our big blockbuster movie, um, you know, Hellraiser 2. You know, that's the only thing I can think of as to why it came out two days before Christmas. 
And we'll, we'll get into some of the production and see maybe how much it did at the box office too. That's always kind of fun. But, uh, but let's talk a little bit about what was happening in the pro wrestling world during this time. Yeah. So what I found was a WCW Crockett Saturday night, 6.05 p.m. episode. So, you know, Crockett had their TV. Um, mm-hmm. It was every Saturday at 6.05. And, you know, it's crazy to think, too, because they, they had that time slot forever, too. I, th- I believe it was on TBS. Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy to think. So, so Crockett had that. And then when WCW took it over, they still kept that time slot. I mean, they had that time slot pretty much until the last Nitro. You know, go ahead. Yeah, on a different day. Yeah, on a different day, yeah. Yeah. But they pretty much kept that Saturday Night Show going, even though, you know, later on, it, it wasn't their A show. Once Nitro came on, it was pretty much just like one of their B, B to C shows. Oh, that yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. They did still keep the Saturday show, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kept, yeah, it just basically, you know, like, they. it's kind of like how they would do, like, Dark now or something. You know what I mean? Right. They just tape it a bunch in advance, but they still play it on that on that part. Uh, so this episode actually happened December 24th, 1988. Uh, so check this out, everybody. Check out this weekend. We will all be experiencing together. All right, so we have <laughs> December 23rd, Hellraiser comes out. It's a Friday, right. okay? December 24th is a Saturday. We can watch WCW Saturday night, all right? Then mm-hmm. t- we get a break. We could have December twenty fifth is Christmas. Yep, hanging out, doing our Christmas gift, and then spend it after with the that, family. spend it with the family. After that, on on a Monday, we have Starcade nineteen eighty eight True Grit. So look yes. at that weekend. That's a crazy weekend right there. Yeah, I mean that, that sounds like that sounds great to me. I know. And then right. with the other stuff that I'm going to add in from that week, I mean, it sounds like a great weekend coming up. But you know, we you know there would be no school, and you know, we if you know if we had jobs, we might be out of work, you know, for Christmas and Christmas break, and yeah, all that sounds fantastic. You know, you watch you watch uh, Saturday night, which is the go home show for Starcade. Yeah. Then on Mo- and then Christmas we go to Christmas Day and open up all our presents. The next day we go to Starcade. Exactly. Which I'm assuming I'm assuming Starcade was on Monday because they didn't want to have it on Christmas night. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming too. Because I think before they used to have it on Christmas night, or at least they did it one time. But but then they're probably just like you know we we probably shouldn't have it on Christmas night. But the day after sounds about sounds about good. And it's it's crazy yeah. to think that Starcade is like on, on like a Monday. You know what I mean? So, but uh, pretty much with this show, it it was a, a you know one of their television. Um, if you guys never seen a WCW, um, Crockett TV, it's basically in a sound studio, very limited fans there. You can see cameras, there's a ring, and then you have a little promo section. It's actually a very neat, the closest thing that, that came to was when, you know, the NWA was doing power. It was basically that, that type of setup. So... (laughs) Yeah, and, and uh, at this point, I don't know if they changed it by this point because I had I didn't actually watch the show, but um, but yeah, they um, what I didn't realize when I was a kid was that the setup where Tony Schiavone was standing or and talking to you know whoever he, whoever he was interviewing was like right in the same room as the ring. Yeah, like he was basically standing right beside the ring. 
So like when the can when they would go to a match, it was just the camera would just pan over to the ring and they would have the match, which I just it's just really weird to think about what that was like versus what wrestling is like now. Yeah, and I didn't realize too. Um, and I saw it on this episode with the with the little uh, caught up with the corner of my eye. Apparently, when they when they would do like commentate over the matches, they'd be standing up the whole time. So they wouldn't be sitting yeah, down. They'd yeah. be standing up. I was like, damn, that's like freaking. Because this show was almost like two hours long. Yeah, so. yeah, there was no commentary table then. Like they just stood there with their microphones and did the commentary yeah. live. So you know, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm I'm assuming maybe some episodes were live. Um, but I'm pretty sure most of this was taped. If if yeah. I can believe, I mean, maybe some of it was live. But I probably would assume that most of it was taped. But uh, I would say, oh god. I was gonna say I would say just about all of that was taped because wasn't that the thing about Raw when it first went live every night or maybe Nitro went live first? Nitro went live first. Um, it, it, it went live. No, no, every no, no. no. Every it was uh, uh, Raw went live because Raw happened in '93. Nitro didn't happen until like '95 or '96. Yeah, yeah, but Raw wasn't live every night. No, it but it was at the beginning. Oh, was it? Yeah, at the beginning when they had okay. the man- there a couple episodes, like a couple episodes into the Manhattan Center, they were live. That's why they called okay. it Raw because it's live. Oh, I see. Okay, because I know that it was ex- it's like doing live television was apparently very expensive. Yeah, like doing live television every week was really expensive, which is why they tape shows sometimes, and that led to the infamous uh, thing where they spoiled Mick Foley winning the title yes. at Nitro. Yes. And then it, it killed the ratings for the night because everybody switched over to Raw because yeah. <laughs> everybody loved Mick Foley so much. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, I would say though that probably most of these shows were taped at some point during the week. Yeah, definitely. You know, or like, you know, a lot of times when they tape them, they'll do like a bunch of um, matches and a bunch of stuff and then they'll like splice different things together. Mm-hmm. But so what do we have on this show? So what we have for our Christmas Eve going into 1988 edition of Crockett is I found this very interesting. So we start off, by the way, everybody, if you want to watch the show, you can watch it on the Peacock. Okay. It's on, it's on it's the on Peacock. The it's on the cock, but the Peacock. <laughs> All right. It's under the uh, season like 10 or whatever. I don't even know what season it is. It's like the 1988 season. So we start out with women's wrestling, which is very rare for an 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, you know, you, you it wasn't, it's not as popular as it is nowadays where we'd see woman matches on pretty much every show. You know, back then, it's kind of like maybe other, every other show we might see a woman's match here and there. But we have Misty Blue and Heidi Lee Morgan versus Linda Dallas and Kat uh, Lerox. So mm-hmm. this match, okay, so watching it with. 2022 eyes boy this is rough because you know of all the great wrestling women's matches we get nowadays like this is like what the heck this is like your first day of wrestling school shit but you know back then you know they 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 did a good job you know very energetic there's a lot of pulling the hair um there's a lot of like this so they're wearing like those bathing suits that you know what i mean that's like mm-hmm. uh like the one the whole the big one piece the thing. big one piece yeah so we got people Pulling yeah. on their one pieces and stuff, and you know, it just the, the it just you know, obviously, women's wrestling would evolve throughout time, but you know, during this time, it just wasn't as as popular, it wasn't as polished as you would see nowadays. But it still was, wasn't too bad. You could see that the biggest star in this match was this lady named Linda Linda Dallas, um, 
she was a good one. But Misty, Blue, and Heidi, they pick up the win. Mm. So, you know, not not bad, but, you know, definitely not anything like you would see, like, today. Uh, our next contest has a young Sting. All right? Yes. And he is going one-on-one with Bill Holiday. All right? Oh, the great Bill Holiday, huh? Yes. And, of course, this is the... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, his his name goes well with the, with the season we're in. Okay? <laughs> yeah. This match is about a minute 50. And uh, still, th- this is a very interesting period of Sting. So this is when Sting is still jacked to the moons. Mm-hmm. You know, he still has a face paint on everything, but he is still like this is like his young career. You know, like he's just getting getting going. Um, and oh, and uh, something very interesting about this show too, which is crazy to think about. Guess who our commentaries commentaries were on this show. Oh, it's got to be. I, I'm. I'm gonna. I may need two guesses. Okay. But it's either gonna be Jr. Jim Ross mm-hmm. and Tony Schiavone, mm-hmm. or it's Jim Ross and Bob Cottle. Uh, the first one you'd be correct. Okay. So we have Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross doing the whole show's commentary during this, and it's crazy to think that we are in 2022 and they are still commentarying together. Yep. I mean, that, we're still, that is, we're seeing that again today. That and it's crazy to think too that the that Jim Ross would be the major voice of WWF and Tony Schiavone would be the major voice of WCW, and we see them both together on this show. So it's pretty cool. I'd say that's part is pretty cool watching that, and it's also yeah, really cool. It's all I actually like watching this um, this era of of WCW as well. Because you see a lot of lot more of the the younger stars that will eventually be huge, you know, like Sting, uh, you know, Rick Steiner, uh, all these guys, like you know, they're going to be big players when it comes to at least getting get into the Attitude Era and get into the '90s eras too. So it's very fun. But you know, we yeah. see a young Sting over here, Jack to the Moons. He has some weird song coming out too. He just beats this guy's ass. So and um. They're basically promoting this match for Starcade 88, which we will talk about one day in long form. But it's going to be the Road Warriors versus Sting and Dusty Rhodes. Yes. So that'd be a fucking awesome match. Yeah, so and it's a, heel Road Warriors versus yes. face Sting and Dusty. Yeah, because uh, throughout the show, too, we would, we would hear like a little clip it from Dusty Rhodes saying like eye for an eye you should have you should have took out both eyes because this is the gimmick where the road warriors attacked dusty Rhodes and they took their spike and they spiked him in the eye so the next match we have over here is the russian assassin one and russian assassin two <laughs> with paul jones versus yeah. max miles and tony Suber. So the Russian assassins were basically um, Paul Jones's tag. So Paul Jones was basically like the Bobby Heenan of Crockett. Yeah. He like managed everybody, and this is just one of his normal teams. The match was okay, just about five minutes. Um, the big thing was uh, Paul Jones was about to go into like a match where he could potentially lose his career. So mm, that old gimmick, yes. So this is a weird, this is a little weird part that came up next. So it to me, this is always weird. And then who, to anybody who watches wrestling in the, during this time, and to people who are not, they kind of want to learn about it. 
There's a manager too, Jim Cornette. He was up next. And for some reason, my brain can't compre- comprehend a baby-faced Jim Cornette. Because that's what we got on this show. We have we got a baby-faced Jim Cornette promo. He was talking about, like, he had, like, first of all, he had a racket with a Santa Claus hat on, of his face on and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he's all talking about, like, his group and stuff, you know, the Midnights. You know, they... The, the the baby face locker room doesn't like them. They the heel locker room doesn't like them, but they realize something. They realize that the fans love them, and that's all they need. I was like, this is weird. See, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing is weird. Seeing the Midnight Express as baby faces is weird. Yeah, of course, at that Starcade, they had Midnight Express versus Midnight Express, which is why yeah. that happened, I guess. But um, but the um. So his Midnight Express at that time was Dennis Condry and Bob Eaton, right? I believe so. Yes. And then, um, no, it the was other one, uh, um, sorry, it was Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. Okay, and then the other one was Dennis Condry and somebody else. Yes. Um, and then somebody else that uh, that had like a blonde mullet, kind of like Bobby Eaton did, but um, but uh, but yeah, it's weird. It's weird seeing them as faces. Um, cause at that Starcade, like, you know, they act as faces and it's just odd to see Jim Cornette as a face. Yes, it is weird. So then after this, then we have uh, a six man tag team match and check out the names of this. So we have, check out this team. Look, this is a, a hodgepodge of a team. If I ever seen one, we have a young Rick Steiner, mm-hmm. Ivan Koloff and the junkyard <laughs> dog. Wow. So how did that even come together? I have no idea. And Scott's not on the show? No, no. This is like when we have early Rick Steiner. So I don't think Scott Steiner started wrestling until 89, late 89 or 90. So I remember Rick Steiner had like a whole run by himself at first. And then Scott, Scott Steiner came in. Okay. So he would have been in the varsity club at this point. Um, I don't think so. No, no, because Kevin Sullivan and, um, IRS, they, they, yeah. yeah. And and Doc and Doctor Jeff, they were kind of like in their own group. So I don't, I don't think Rick's joined the the varsity club yet. So they were they were there. He he was just kind of like on his own. Okay, because I didn't know. If, now that I thought about it, once I said that, I realized that at that Starcade, they also had Mike Rotunda versus Rick Steiner. So I didn't know if he had left the varsity club or if he had just not joined them yet. Um, I don't know if he, I, I, he might have left him. I'm not, I'm not, I think he might have like joined them later, but I'm not exactly sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, what's weird about this is apparently Rick Steiner used to bring a dog to the ring and he get, he, he what he did was he brought a dog, a real, a real dog and he gave it to Jim Cornette and Jim Cornette had to hold this dog throughout the whole, the whole show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and basically like, so so they were fighting Eddie Sweet, Randy Hogan, and Keith uh, Steinborn, which, which people three jobbers basically. Yeah. And the the things I got out of this match was so Rick Steiner apparently he did like comedy wrestling, like mo- every time he was in he would always do like this like comedy style wrestling. It kind of it was just weird to see like he would like you know like make the guy bark like a dog. He would like slap him a little bit, kind of like some Colt Cabana shit. It was weird, and then right. you know, and then the biggest star in this match was the Junkyard Dog. You know, people were going nuts for this guy the whole time. Um, and of course, they won. 
a quick little match, but it was just very interesting to see that hodgepodge of a weird team like that. Like, <laughs> I liked it. I like, I like the. I like when like weird, you know, people you don't think of a team together would team together. It's cool. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. It's almost like Raw now, where they just randomly put people together. Well, kind of like I mean, you know, Raw is still like Raw. Raw is like nowadays is like Groundhog's Day. You know what I mean? You see the same shit every fucking day. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, when are you going to see yeah, in Raw, yeah. like, three random people like this in a tag? You know, it can happen, but it's very rare. That's true. That's most true, you're right. it's always, you most of this would probably remind me of something AEW would do. You know, they, they usually, like, match up, like, you know, different teams together. Like, oh, I never thought that could be a cool team. So, the next match we have, um, it's a, it's a Steve Williams, Dr. Death, and Kevin Sullivan... Mm-hmm. They fought Randy Mulkey and Ryan uh, Ragnar. So we know who's definitely winning, winning this match. So this is when we had uh, heel Kevin Sullivan, heel Dr. Death. They are basically just beat their ass and, you know, they're basically the bad guys, you know. During this, this, this is not where we get, like, the creepy Kevin Sullivan. It, this is, like, more like just the wrestler Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. I'm not this time. So up next we have... Uh, uh, we we also get like a Ric Flair promo. Uh, well, first we get um, a Lex Luger promo. So the big match at True Grit, True Grit, Starcade, <laughs> is it's going to be Lex Luger versus Ric Flair for the world title, or how they like to say the world belt. The world belt, yes, yes. And the the we, like I said, we're going to go in long form one day about the Starcade, but basically it was you know Ric Flair and Lex Luger there in the Horsemen together. They eventually betrayed Luger and they got Barry Windham in the Horsemen, and this is the build to Lex Luger finally getting his shot at the Nature Boy. So you know he's talking about that. You know you know. So Lex Luger during this time, obviously you could tell this guy is going to be something. Um, you know, Jack to the Moons. Uh, it's kind of weird during his promo during this. Like, you kind of have to see it. So he's talking, but he's talking, like, very, like, monotone. And you just hear these people in the background just like, we can't hear you. There's, like, this guy yelling <laughs> around and shit. There's, like, this, like, people just making all kinds of noise. And, like, like Lex Luger, he just goes on with his promo. It's like he doesn't even hear anybody. He just, he just focused right on the camera. Like, you know how, you know how nowadays, like, some people get flustered, like, shut up fat boy or something like that you know what i mean like no not this yeah, guy. he was yeah. just like he was just still being monotone he was talking about the training's done all the stuff is out of the way we are going to be have this match and this is what my whole career has put me towards is getting this match but it's just it's just a weird promo because you hear all this background noise you can barely hear him through the promo and he's just like he doesn't he doesn't up his voice he doesn't get distracted he's just like boom i'm gonna get this promo done i'm not gonna listen to these guys and he just storms out of there so yeah i mean maybe he hadn't really been good at the promo yet you know that's not a that's not something that he uh he had mastered at that point of course i don't really think of lex luger as the world's greatest promo anyway but no i mean he was, he was fine but you know i mean yeah he, lex luger is definitely not a uh it's not gonna catch you all the time with his promos but that doesn't mean they're bad right uh, um right. so next up we get um Another match like Bob, Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. Um, they they fought Rick Allen and Jerry Price. So just normal mm-hmm. normal little tag team match there. Nothing too special, you know what I mean? Just you know playing everybody, getting getting all the the digs in. 
Um, so up next, we get like a, a Ric Flair promo. And of course, Ric Flair is, is always great with his promos. And you never know which Flair you're going to get. You're going to get the soft-spoken Flair. You're going to get the wild one. This one was kind of like in the middle, I would say. You know, he's going on about saying <laughs> the best part of Ric Flair's promo was he was all like, this guy, like every rapper, you know, copies Ric Flair. They had to because this guy was going on here. He was all like, you know, I'm just one of those guys where you can't buy anything for Chris- for me for Christmas. <laughs> You're going to give me a watch? I have four of them. Oh, you're going to give me a coat? I got five of them. Uh, you're going to get me a car? I got six of those cars. Oh, you want to buy me a house? I got five houses. I don't need that. <laughs> he's just going on and on. That was a great. I was like, yeah, buddy. And, you know, he's yeah. just talking about, you know, how great he is in styles and everything and how he's going to beat Luger and everything. It's, you know, the, the, the highlights of these uh, Crockett um, shows are it's pretty much Ric Flair's promos, I would say. For sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. And you're right. I think that probably Ric Flair is more influential on hip-hop today than any other hip-hop artist is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if you watch... Like, seriously, if you... I think there's something on YouTube you can watch. If you watch, like, Ric Flair's promos from Crockett era, like, you can just pinpoint, like, all this (laughs) hip-hop stuff they probably ripped off from him. I mean, like, fuck. It's like... it's, it's, It's crazy. But it's, it's awesome by watching those. I always get a kick out of those. Uh, the next match we have is, uh, you know, Jim Cornette's crew, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. They defeated Mike Jackson and Gary Roll. So, you know, good old squash match to show that the challengers are ready for, for their match at Starcade. So good old yeah, stuff so, right there. Yeah, so they can squash these jobbers. That means they're ready to take on the big time. Yes. Well, you know, we, we talked about this probably before, but like, you know, during when you're watching this, you know, if you're watching like main event or superstars from the from the F and you're watching, you know, WCW Saturday night from the, from the WCW, you know, most of the time it's going to be your big stars beating up jobbers. jobbers yeah. Because you can't lose on TV, brother. So the next match is pretty interesting, too. It's a, a young Dustin Rhodes. Uh, he he went on one on one with Trent Knight, and he defeated Trent Knight. And I'm not exactly sure, but I thought I heard like Jim Ross saying like, "Dust this Dustin was still like in like um like high school." Really? And I was like, "There's no way this huge motherfucker was in high school because <laughs> this guy was tall. He was gigantic. He was big." And he had to be like, he was like 6'1 or 6, yeah, he was like 6'1. He had to be at least 6'1, 300 pounds because he was, he was a big boy. So I was like, there's no way this motherfucker just got out of high school. And I mean, it's like, damn. But, you know, you could definitely see that Dustin Rose is going to be something because he was, he was great, you know, in this match. And he's obviously as early in his career. Uh, but yeah, you could definitely tell he's going to be something. And of course, he had like his, you know, father's name and everything. So that definitely helps. Um, the next, and then during this too, we, we did see a lot of build for Starcade as well. So we see like different promos and stuff, different, uh, little video packages. Not, not like you would see nowadays, but just a little ones. But our main event is going to be the United States champion, Barry Windham. He would go one-on-one with Eddie Gilbert. And this match was fantastic. So back and forth action, sloop, suplexes everywhere. Um, just a hard hitting affair. Um, Gilbert would not give up. He would just fight back and fight back and stuff. And it wasn't until JJ Dillon interfered with a knee in the back 
where Barry, for Barry Windham did the, the small package and he picked up the victory. And they were complaining about it, how Barry Windham couldn't beat him the whole time and stuff. And we had an insert promo from one Bam Bam Bigelow as well, too. Oh, yeah. Because at the start kit, it was going to be Bam Bam versus Barry Windham for the belt, the U.S. belt. Uh, and then, you know, just at the end, uh, Eddie Gilbert was complaining about J.J. interfering in the match and stuff, saying to Barry Windham, you couldn't beat me on your own. You could beat me one-on-one. Ric Flair was out there, too. He told him to go F off, basically. Barry <laughs> Windham grabbed him, started to punch him a little bit. Eddie, Eddie escaped. He got into the ring. They were both going to go jump in the ring, but then Bam Bam came for the save, and then we cut off. And that's it. So not That was the whole show? That was the whole show, yeah. Oh, so the main event was the only one that wasn't versus a jobber. Yes, pretty much. Like okay. the 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 Crockett show is basically kind of like that. Like most of your matches are just mm-hmm. going to be all about facing the jobbers and getting the pin. But they would they would at least have like one or two stars versus star match. So, but not a bad show. You know, something to wet wet our appetite for the Starcade '88. So yeah, get us ready for Starcade two days later. Yes. So that's what I'm getting my stocking. I'm going to get me one of them boxes for pleasure, and then I'm going to order me the pay-per-view, brother. <laughs> <laughs> boxes boxes for pleasure. Yeah, I, heard, I think they have subscriptions for those now. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they do. All right, so I got something in the middle too, but let's let's have you go. Let's have, what, All right. what, what do you got for us? So the only thing I could really find that week is on December the 21st, if we wanted to make you get in the Trans Am to make the drive all the way to Montreal, Canada, which is, you know, someplace I've always wanted to go. Um, the band Voivod played the end of the last show for their uh, Dimension Hatros tour. Voivod's a van I've always been a fan of for a long time. I would get into Voivod about a year later than when this happened. But they were on the end of the, they had for, they had evolved from like you know, being just a Canadian thrash band into the more like, I guess, rush inspired progressive metal band that they would become that still had the real heavy kind of sound to it. Um, they were kind of influenced by punk too a lot, but, um, but yeah, they were on their dimension Hatros tour with uh, violence was actually opening for them. And, um, that was, uh, that would have been an inc- incredible show. Um, you know, no, no big news, no long story about that, but I just wanted to bring that up because they were at the end of their tour and playing these shows and, um, Dimension Hatros is a great album that everybody should listen to. Yeah. You know, I was doing a little research too, and I, I came across that. Um, and, uh, that, that was pretty, pretty neat. I was listening to a little bit of them. I thought they sounded pretty good. And so maybe I'll pop them on the, uh, the good old Facebook page. Everybody join the retro, yeah. retro blood Facebook group. Yeah, there's uh, so, <laughs> yeah, there's actually uh, this show is actually what made me find this actually. I should have brought this up. Was this show is actually recorded and um, released as a bonus disc when Dimension Hotros was was first re released a few years ago, um, and it supposedly it was released as a cassette um, called I believe it's called a Perfect Structure or something like that. Um, but it um, it was released as a live cassette. That was on like a it was on no label. It was just released out there, so it's impossible to find probably. But they did release it as a second disc of that CD. But um, at least one of the shows was recorded, and you can watch it on YouTube. Um, but yeah, we could probably put that on the Facebook page. Hell yeah, I like me some fucking uh, good old uh, 
punk, semi-thrash music too. Good mm-hmm. stuff, good stuff. Uh, the thing I found, so this, you know, like I said, I found that too. You know, I thought that would be a good one, but I also want to see, like, you know, I always like to talk about an album too, if we can. You know yeah. what I mean? Or what kind of came out. Uh, so this one didn't come out in December. It came out right before December. It came out November 29th, 1988. And, you know, I know it's like I try to do something at least around the same month and stuff, but this one is kind of close enough. <laughs> but it's just this very was hard month. Yes. It, yeah. December is always, you know, obviously they don't release a whole lot of stuff in December, you know, because of the holiday season and everything. But I, I, we, ne- we never talked about this band. I actually never even heard this band, but. Before we came on live, I was listening to a couple of their tracks, and they're actually pretty good. So I'm, I'm assuming that Allison knows all about this band, but hopefully I don't butcher their name too. Because I'm not sure if it's said one way or not. Now, is it Hillstar or is it Hellstar? Oh, I don't know. I'm not familiar with this band. You don't know? It's H-E-L-Star. You ever heard them before? I haven't heard them for. I would say that's Hellstar. Yeah, because Hell, you know, Hellstar, I guess. Because you know, Hell is like has two L's, but this one only has one. Well, of course, yeah. But are they from Europe? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Um, mm. Whether they, 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 I'm not. I don't think so because the the record label they were under was Metal Blade Records. But you know, oh, yeah. they could be from Europe. But maybe I can see if we can do some little extra research on them. But basically, they released their album, a uh, a distant thunder. And you know, I'm surprised you didn't know them because they're actually pretty good. Like they, they a lot of they have a lot of speed tracks to them, and the guy actually has a nice like singing voice. And then every once in a while, he'll go into like the uh, the 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 loud uh, thrash metal opera singing out of nowhere. No. So yeah, so they're it's weird. So they're from Houston, Texas. They're yes. a power metal band. Yes. Yeah, this sounds like something that's like right up my alley but i have not heard this yeah i mean i was listening to them so this album um it's pretty good like it starts off with the king is dead uh very good like tune to get you going and stuff and very just very catchy like they they it's kind of like yeah like that, that kind of power metal style where it doesn't really speed down and the guy has really good vocals and stuff as well too um i definitely say it's something to, to check out if you haven't heard it before and i think their cover out um art looks pretty wild too um it, it just like you know some of it even looks like some like megadeth um album cover arts but i kind of like some of like their earlier album cover you know this one right here just has like two, it looks like two, a woman's hand just showing up their logo with the star yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I but, mean, it looks pretty good though. It's got a great design. I see the Megadeth, the thing you're talking about. It does look like a Megadeth cover, kind of. Yeah, when he gets like this, this wicked nest and stuff. Um, but like, I like the uh, the one that's like the Burning Star. I like that cover art, and uh, they have a, 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 a an album called Nosferatu. So this is definitely something to uh, to keep uh, an eye out for here on the Retro Blood because we always like to explore new things. So yes. this Hellstar stuff, we, maybe we'll we'll try to like listen to it, and then uh, maybe we'll come back and uh, give our give our thoughts about it and stuff. Hellstar, it's got to be Hellstar, right? Or Hellster, Hellstar? Uh, I don't know. That's that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like not, it's, maybe they're like, okay, we can't say Hell because we want to. I want went our shit at Walmart. How about Heelstar? Heelstar. 
Was, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I'm going to look into that. See how that's pronounced. But yeah, I mean that sounds pretty cool. They look, they look, they look sound. They look like they sound awesome. Is what I'm saying. To yes. Say. And looks like they even do stuff nowadays because they released um, uh, uh, like a clad in black. They released that, and that came out in here in 2021. So they're still rocking it out today. So pretty cool stuff. But yeah, we'll probably see if we could do some bit more research um let's see what it says over here all right so yes they're from houston texas all right so they were once the best kept secrets on the american metal scene houston's hill star or hell star we'll have to figure that out <laughs> get that confirmed we're uh to the, we're part of the worldwide spread of power and thrash metal burning star their debut 1984 was a widely acclaimed uh, but an internal struggle kept the band off the touring circuit. Nin- the 1988's A Distant Thunder and 19 8- 1989's Nosferatu, both on Metal Blade, put the band on the map globally. With an ever-revolving lineup, Hellstar took an official hiatus after 1995's Multiple Multiples of Black. The singer, James Reader, original guitarist Larry Bargan, declared the band's musical... Their their musical um, revival, so it doesn't really give us too much distance, but but they basically been been doing a lot of albums since 1984, and they kind of have like a little bit of re- rotating band members. So we'll see if we could do some a little bit more stuff on them, but definitely something to check out, and I definitely recommend everybody uh, checking them out. So yeah, I mean that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we'll check them all out, everybody. All right, so how about we get out of the music? How about we talk a little bit about this uh, behind-the-scenes th- of Hellraiser Hellbound? So with this sequel, uh, Clive Barker, he has returned. All right, has ex- uh, executive producer for the sequel. He he did it with Tony Randell, directed to his, you know, because of the experience they both had on the Hellraiser. So, Randall claims the dark tone of the movie reflects his own mindset on the world at the time. The picture was due to have a much larger budget, but it decreased after financial issues with New World Pictures. Which is pretty crazy because, I mean, they did a lot of, like, animation in this film. So, yeah. surprised, like, even had, like, the budget it did. Um, Let's see. There's a couple... Okay, so... One of the things was originally there was going to be an extra scene during the ending when uh, Kirsty and Tiffany are running from Chan, uh, Chanard. The scene mm-hmm. was, was planned so that during their escape, the duo ran into a doctor and nurse. The doctor demanded to know what they are doing. Kirsty backs away in horror when suddenly the doctor and nurse turn into Pinhead and the female Cenobite before, sh- before she and Tiffany uh, continue running. The scene, the, the scene was filmed, but was ultimately dropped for the final cut for two reasons. One was because the filmmakers thought that they have that having actor Doug Bradley as a normal doctor would confuse the viewers, and another was because the special effects for the scene turned out poorly. So it was decided to, to discard it altogether. However, a photographer who was on set took some photos of Pinhead and the female center by dressed as surgeons which were used for promotion of the film. 
and were also used on some VHS DVD covers of the movie, confusing fans and starting rumors about an influence deleted surgery scene. Some trailers do show a few shorts or shots from their unfinished scenes, as well as parts of another deleted scene with Chatter stopping the elevator with his hand and jumping at Kirsty and Tiffany. The lost scenes were eventually uh, rediscovered on VHS work print and announced as an extra for Error Video's Blu-ray reissued of the first three films in the series. So, it's always cool to see like deleted scenes and what could have been and stuff. So, that's what we're seeing on here. So, a couple, because, well, we'll get into it, but, uh, yeah, kind of like, it, it kind of would have like at least gave them like a reason to kind of come back. So, let's see what I got over here. Or are you going to say something? No, I was going to say, so basically they shot this scene and they were going to use it, but they didn't want to confuse people, but then they used parts of it anyway and still confuse people. Yes. Well, we kind of <laughs> seen that sometimes like on trailers where they'll have yeah. like scenes from trailers that are not even in the movie at all. So. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's see what else we got here. So Oliver Smith who played skinless Frank in the original due to his skinny frame, allowing the body, the body makeup to be realistic, reprised his role with two extra roles has Browning, the mental patient with the uh, delusion, yeah, which was a crazy scene, and has a skinless figure Christy sees in the hospital who writes, I am, I am in the hell, help me, in Blood on the Wild. So he played a, a, a two different characters on here, which is neat. Uh, so Hellbound was originally rated X by the Motion Pictures Associate of America, which have mm. which ha- which have limited to those 17 and older. Barker attributes this to preferring, you know, displaying like gruesome, showing the gruesome stuff instead of like hinting at it, is what he was saying. Uh, let's see. So apparently, Hellraiser, Hell uh, Hellbound Hellraiser Two was shown at the Toronto. Festival of Festivals on September 9th, 1988. And then, of course, it was later shown on to the world around Los Angeles and New York on December 23rd, 1988. Uh, so this grossed a um, pretty good amount in the United States, about uh, 12, mil- 12 million. So definitely yeah. a popular franchise that we have going on. Yeah. How much did you say it cost to make? Um, let's see if it gives me how much it was cost to make. So, uh, it's not telling me on here. Yeah, it, it or, doesn't say show. It doesn't show it here. I'm gonna say. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm gonna guess around two million, maybe. It had to be a little bit more. So, they they did use a lot of special effects. So, but this uh, is yeah, more than the first one, true. Yeah. All that animation stuff like that, which yeah, was real. They definitely had a lot of more, uh, a lot more anima- anima- animation <laughs> stuff going on. So let's get into some of the alternative screenplay. An alternative script with Christie's father, Larry, exists. Written before mm-hmm. Andrew Robinson declined to reprise the role. Many reasons were given for this, including dis- uh, disagreements over fees and a clash of schedules, although nothing has ever been confirmed. Dr. Chenard was originally called Dr. Malahide, but this was changed by the doctor. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> it was revealed in the documentary, Leviathan, 
the story of Hellraiser and Hellbound Hellraiser 2 from, well, that'd be kind of a neat to watch, from Andrew Robertson. Now, he was not a fan of the script and decided to not return as, as, as his character and was finished anyway. Writer Peter Atkins said that despite liking Robertson as an actor, he was, he was revealed that he declined as it made the narrative work a lot better in the finished product. So, so basically, you know, they hinted a lot at Christie's father, but we never saw him. You know, because the whole premise of the movie that we'll get into was her trying to find her father and rescue him from hell. So they probably liked it a little bit better this way because it, 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 instead of getting like a, a conclusion with it, you know what I mean? She's doing more of the chase. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's better that they didn't bring Larry back. In my opinion. You're not a big fan of Larry. I mean, he was fine in the first movie. And then this movie is almost completely different, though, in a lot of ways than yeah. the first one. Yeah, yeah, definitely has a Which lot of different, different elements. But I say let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into the full review of Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Yeah, let's do it. The vision is renewed. The power is reawakened. The fear is reborn. Because they have returned. Time to play. Hellbound. Hellraiser 2. Brace yourself for terror you have never imagined. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. And horrors you can never escape. And you wanted to know. Now you know. Last year, they brought hell to earth. Now, they'll take you Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, time to play. All right, so we start off with... John's favorite line when he heads <laughs> when he heads to the wing stop. What is your pleasure, sir? Did I got that right? You, that, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what uh, what they say to me when yeah. I show up. Um, yeah, you always give me shit about the wing stop, man. I, I love wing stop. I like wing stop too, man. I got some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, they do. Except I can't really do like the 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 super spicy wings. Mm-hmm. I know some people can handle those, but I can't handle those at all. I'd be like the I'd be like throwing up and all kind of shit. So, but they do have some good yeah. stuff. There. Mm-hmm. So basically, now we have we have we after we get that famous line, we have done a. Uh, this is not as bad as Silent Night, Deadly Night Two, but we pretty much get a recap. Of the end of the first movie, so we have <laughs> Frank over there, the whole Jesus wept line. 
gets ripped apart. We have uh, Christy up there fucking defeating Cenobites left and white. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We basically just show the whole ending, like the last. Yeah, I was about to say basically watch the whole movie, yeah. the whole end of the movie. Again. But it was it was sped up a little bit. It was kind of like a uh, kind of like a raw recap. You know, what I mean, we're showing the highlights, but we're like we're 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 missing little gaps. But we're going to show the the cool parts when we put some music behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, my favorite line, one of my favorite lines from the first movie. It's like you know, the pinhead. So like, he has such great lines throughout the whole movie. You know, we have such sights to show you. Uh, we'll tell your soul apart. You know what I mean? Yep. But I think an I think a a line that is not recognized as much that we should is when uh uh Kirsty is when she's playing with the box, he's like, No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you telling me that's not a fantastic line? I mean, come on, that was great. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. that, one, that one gets me all the time. He's like saying all this intimidating stuff. We're going to rip your soul apart. He's like, just like playing with the box. He's like, oh, fuck, don't do that. Like, what do yeah, you I do? don't know. I, that should have been like delivered more forcefully or something. But yeah, this is weird. He's like, no, don't do that. I love oh. it. And then like, oh. and then we get into the, you know, the, the credits and everything. And uh, Allison and, and everybody, have you seen uh, the Batman? The the, uh, the, Bat- the new one? No, no, no. I'm gonna talk about the older Batman's, like the Batman cartoon, the Batman the animated series, and mm, the okay. Tim Burton Batman. I have seen the Tim Burton Batman. I've seen some of those animated shows too. Yeah. Okay. What was this? Would this music fit in perfectly with it? Well, yeah. I thought actually, I thought that in the first movie too. I thought that um, the Christopher Young music sounded a lot like a Tim Burton score. Yeah. Very, very similar. Mm. So, so maybe, you know, because Tim, I was probably in the 90s and shit too. So somebody's ripping somebody off. Yeah, this is, the, well, that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, this is before the Batman or before Batman because Batman was in 89. Yeah. Or 88, 89. So this was before that. But I think that Tim Burton had already done a film score for Pee Wee's Big Adventure before this. Okay. Interesting. And possibly Edward Scissorhands. Well, somebody's if ripping somebody off. And you can tell. I just think they're similar. I think they just sound similar. Yeah. So we ba- after we get the whole uh, Batman intro, uh, we see like a little recording, and we're at like a uh, a bunker, and it's kind of like a like an officer, and he's sitting there playing with his box. Okay. <laughs> playing with his box. <laughs> playing with his box. And we see it's the box. Mm-hmm. And he's like uh, rubbing it and stuff, and eventually he does the blue light and everything. He gets kind of freaked out, and then it opens. And he looks in there, and a bunch of chains come out of from nowhere like hooks. They grab him. All the bunker gets dark and stuff, and we have now seen that this person who's playing with the box is now turned into the pinhead demon. Mm-hmm. So we are yep. getting some backstory already. Yep, getting the origin of pinhead. Yes. So very, very interesting. Of course, you know, the hooks go into his flesh. Um, you see all the nails going into his head and stuff. He's basically being turned into a Cenobite. And we actually figure that out later in the film, too, of how these Cenobites come to be, which is pretty interesting. So after this, we hear the, the sounds. It's like, the sweet, oh, the sweet 
Oh, the sweet suffering. <laughs> and this is when we have our main girl, Christy. She is now waking up in the hospital. We, it's, it's the uh, Gernard Institute for the uh, uh, Mentally Insane Hospital. Yeah, she's just at a psychiatric unit, right? Yeah, psychiatric, like psychiatric, yes. psychiatric hospital, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. And she's like, doesn't know where she's at and stuff. And, she, and, the, and this guy was all like, oh, you don't remember? You and your boyfriend, Steve, uh, you guys were su- have such an adventure. And she's like, who are you? Who, who? Like, she's like, who the hell are you and stuff? And he's like, this guy, his name is Bronson. He's the detective, and he was he was from Homicide, and he was at the father's house from the first movie. So he said, like, you know, the cop is like, yeah, I like how they like they, I like how they wrote off the Steve character. Did you notice that <laughs> they're like they're like the, the Bronson guy was like, yeah, we talked to Steve. We let him go a couple hours ago. Man, that guy was loony. Yeah, we don't need him for this movie. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we have to. <laughs> they want to pay that actor, so we just let him go. Yeah. Besides, he sucked anyway. He didn't do anything in the first film, so we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna drop him. <laughs> I was like, damn, they fucking buried this guy six feet under. Yep. They didn't even give him a time to do anything. They're like, yeah, he's just crazy. We'll just fucking throw him away somewhere. Um, and then this is when they're going. This is also too when we see a scene of a cop going through the the house from the first movie, finds a couple of dead bodies, shoots one of the dead bodies. Um, this is when um. You know, the cop is just going over, like, you know, he wants to understand what happened at this house. Uh, eventually, uh, Kirsty is just talking talk about fairy tales and how some fairy tales can come true. Um, this is when a cop calls and, like, hey, you know, we found this mattress with blood on it and stuff. That's the only thing we can see. He's like, oh, just, you know what to do, just tag it up and stuff. And then now Kirsty's just saying, like, oh, wait a minute. Julia died on a mattress and. She's probably stuck in that mattress because they don't see her body. And then she's like, oh, crap. She can probably come back. We can't do that. So she's basically, like, figuring this out. And, you know, basically she's also talking the story about what happened. She's all like, you know, like, these Cenobites were out to kill me and stuff. And then, of course, the everybody's looking at her like she's crazy. Because, you know, they're, they're not believing the story at this time. Um, so this is like when we meet, um, the doctor of our, of our story. And boy, what a weird guy this guy is. Philip, Philip Chadnar. He is the, 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 the doctor. Yes. Of the whole, and his, so I want to ask you something, Allison and everybody. Did Silence of the Lambs come out before this movie? No, Silence of the Lambs came out. In 1990, I believe. Okay. Because this motherfucker sounded just like Dr. Lecter when he was talking about this brain. You know, he's going over like the how the brain works and we got to find out the mysteries of the brain. That just automatically came to my head was like, okay, this guy, he's all huh, talking about Dr. Lecter. Yes. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but I mean, you're, you know, that's, you have a good point there. As soon as I saw this character, so like I've seen this movie before, but not in many, many, many years. So I didn't really remember anything about it. Um, but the first thing I thought was like, he, this guy looks like a Nazi. He has to be a bad guy. Yeah. And I wasn't wrong, but, um, but yeah, he, um, is he, yeah, our, like, uh, so, is he our foreign heel on the, he is, yeah, he is the foreign heel, which is still kind of confusing because he's an English actor. So this movie might take place in England and it might play, take place in the United States. It's hard to tell. 
Well, yeah, because he was like the only one though. Like everybody else spoke English. Like, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. In this movie, in this movie more so. In the last movie, it was kind of it seemed like it might be England, and sometimes that seems like it's in the United States in different scenes. Yeah. So now the uh, the Philip, the doctor, he's now talking to a doctor's, I guess, assistant, Kyle. Boy, this mm-hmm. fucking Kyle. Once we get into Kyle. him. Oh, my God. So he's talking about Kyle, about, like, this new patient they got and how crazy she is and stuff. And then he's all talking about, like, you know, what tells, I wonder, what she's going to tell us on the other about the other side. And then, and then like, you know, Philip is basically saying, like, listen, we had to treat these pa- patients for their mind and their pain, too. And, of course, we see there, uh, right when they walk in, uh, uh, Kirsty, she is, like, freaking out on, on, the, uh, on the, uh, the homicide guy, Bron- Bronson. You know, saying, like, basically they, they need to destroy that mattress because that Julia girl doesn't deserve to come back and live. Because, remember, from the first movie, Julia mm-hmm. is evil because she yes. helped Frank kill all these people. And guess what we get? <laughs> we get an explanation of that because <laughs> Kirsty is basically saying, I I need I, you guys need to take this mattress. You need to burn it. You need to destroy this mattress. Yeah, in case you didn't see the first movie, this is why. Yes. And basically, you know, the the, the detective guy leaves. And basically the doctor's like, hey, I can help this girl. Just let her have her be in my care and I can treat her. And this is also too when we see Kyle a little bit too. Kyle is like trying to like warm up a little bit to the Kirsty as well. And Kirsty's mm-hmm. her main thing is like, listen, we have to destroy this mattress. All right. That's the main goal of it. And um, so and also so the doctor comes back in, Philip comes back in. He's like, okay, well, I gotta go with this other patient, but we'll get you something where you can sleep after this. So this is when we get Kirsty, she wakes up. Um, we have this little girl, which we find out her name is Tiffany. She is playing with a uh, like kind of like those building blocks. And this is when um, Kyle sneaks. Sneaks behind Kirsty, and they tell us a story about Tiffany. Basically, she got dropped off there at the hospital six months ago. Doesn't have any visitors, any family, any anything. And she's a mute. She doesn't talk at all. And all she does is play puzzles. And we didn't know her name, so one of the nurses just named her Tiffany. Yeah, so so now we have a puzzle expert yes. in our movie. Yes, because, you know, the... the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because because got, why not? Yeah, why, yes. Well, they, they, then they were asking, like you know, like why puzzles? And then the, the, the Kyle says something, and then, and then of course Christy's like, "It's probably to open doors." So there was a reason <laughs> why why this girl was here. Okay. Well, except that in the first movie, nobody seemed to have any problems opening the puzzle box at all, and even even Christy could open the puzzle box, and she didn't even know what it, that it was a puzzle at all. You know what I mean? Like ever, nobody seemed to have any problems opening this puzzle box, but now we have a have, we have a puzzle expert to yes. be able to do this. Well, maybe. Um, so okay, so you know what this movie also reminded me too. So maybe when we did like Dream Warriors. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, th- there's a lot of like parallels. We always have we always had to have the one expert. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're establishing right now that Tiffany is like the expert. So when, when we go to Cinnabite Lair, she is like almost immune because she is so good at opening door puzzles. Right. You know, kind of like in, in the dream where we had that one, that, that one girl who can control her dreams 
because she had the magic power superhero ability to do it. So yeah, so like well, so when we're about to find out in a minute that Channard is obsessed with the lament configuration, so you know he's obsessed with the puzzle box, um, but no, but none of the characters know that yet. So I'm, I was wondering at this point if, well, I guess I, found, I was wondering this a little later if maybe somehow Channard had her had her kidnapped or had her dropped off there to have her work on the puzzle box at some point. I mean, probably because we do see some of her backstory later on. Yeah, that happens. So it, it's it's possible. Maybe maybe he maybe he somehow knew that she maybe experienced puzzle opening doors boxes before. So possibly. But anyway, the uh, Kyle tries to give um, Christy some pills, and she's like, "I'm not crazy," and she shuts the door. <laughs> so now she lays down. Christy's laying down stuff, and smoke is about to filling up parts of the room and we could see that uh tiffany she's also playing like she's still playing with her box and everything or like the building blocks <laughs> um and then yeah. like this the, the room gets all crazy christy freaks out a little bit and then we see a skin skin monster and the skin monster writes i am in hell help me and of course christy because she goes over there she touches the blood and puts it on her lips and now she's thinking, okay, well, it's my dad, and my dad is now communicating to me that he needs help. So we got we got we got our baby face, and we have the chase it's starting yep. right now with our baby face. So this is when we have Philip. He's walking around outside and stuff. Um, and he's like walking throughout the whole hospital. He passes this one uh, patient, and the guy's like. 105 years, he still doesn't know my name. Ooh, good one. Yes. So this part I thought was pretty interesting. So at this um, psychiatric hospital, we have a hidden lair. All right. And this is the basement. And this is where all the truly crazy ones are at. So here's all the characters we get in this basement. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So... (laughs) We see a, uh, he, so every time he, the, the Philip, he's going through the place, he opens a little door handle to, to check on all these patients. So we have a guy swapping, looks like he's just swiping a bunch of flies. Okay. <laughs> this, the, my, the other guy is my favorite. The guy who just like using crosses on everything. Like he's like in Castlevania. He's just using co- cro- crosses. <laughs> we have one that's like a, out of a haunted house where the guy opens the door and he just screams. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and then we get the other guy, which I call the "Please get them off me" guy. All right. So I'm thinking, like, okay, did they just do this like 24 seven? Like they don't eat or nothing. They just fucking just do these gimmicks 24 <laughs> seven. Exactly. It's like it's hmm. like what people think an insane asylum is, yes, right? Exactly. It's like what what sounds crazy. Let's make characters that are that do these crazy yes. things. Let's get a guy in tattoos and show him crosses everywhere. The screaming guy. <laughs> the screaming guy. Like a haunted house screaming guy. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> That's what it was like. It was a fucking, this basement was basically like a haunted house. Right? It, yeah, it is. It's, exa- it's, it's exactly like a haunted house. I'm surprised house. they didn't right. make this for uh, for Universal Monster Month or something at Universal yeah, Studios yeah, they, yet. Okay? That's what it well, we've, uh, we've, it wouldn't be scary because we've all seen it. Yes. It's like, oh, next up is the screaming guy. <laughs> Yes, then we have the please don't please get him off me guy. Okay, come on. 
we'll see. We'll, 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 we'll get him in a second. So yeah, now, are. so now we have, this is another weird scene. So I don't know if he caught it. So Kyle is creeping on Christy. He comes mm-hmm. in there. He's like, Christy, are you okay? She's like, I have a visitor. He's like, oh, whoa, who, who is it? She's like, it was my father. <laughs> He's alone and suffering. And of course, Kyle doesn't have any fucking uh, sympathy. He's like, your father's dead. He's like Christian. Did <laughs> 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 you hear this? Ass? He's like fucking Christian. It's like that, fucking yeah, that guy's great, right? Your father's He's dead. Like, your father's dead. It's like, fuck, okay, we know that, man. It just happened like a day ago. And he could have been more sensitive. Yeah, he just fucking, he's like, and she's like, no, I, he's like, he's alone and he's suffering. He's like, okay, I'm going to go get a doc so we can help you. He's like, does the doc have a ticket to hell? I was like, oh, sick burn. <laughs> Damn, sick burn. All right. Well, maybe he does. All right. Maybe he does. He got this fucking screaming demon guy in his fucking basement, so maybe he does. <laughs> All right, so Kyle, he goes to go check on, you know, go go around the doctor, Philip. Um, and then, of course, Philip is on the phone. And he's all like, listen, that fucking mattress, don't get to the hospital. I want it, meet me outside of my house, okay? And I'm going to, I want the mattress to be part of my house. And then Kyle comes up close. <laughs> Let me repeat myself. Make sure this mattress is not at the hospital. Make sure it's at my house, okay? Plot point. Come on now, guys. Plot point. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was really weird. Like, it's like on the. <laughs> it says it's super but loud. Me, but let me repeat myself so this minor character can hear it and pass this information on. Exactly. He's to, gonna, uh, to the protagonist. And of course, Kyle's like, oh, that doesn't sound right, but fuck it. Hey, doctor, she needs your help. So, this is when we get Kirsty. Now she's explained the whole entire first movie. <laughs> and I had fucking flashbacks to Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. I was like, holy fuck, they're doing it again. And this is almost, this is kind of the third time we've done this already. Bro, she told the whole movie. She told the whole movie, yeah. I was like, fuck it. it. Yeah. I was like, okay. And then, of course, I like some of the lines she was saying, though. She was all like, yeah, it all started with Julie. And I'll start with Frank. And I don't know how long it was going on for. It had to be going on before they were married. You know, they were, they were getting it on and stuff. And then this, and then, and then eventually when they were like, you know, getting it on stuff. The Frank found a box. Oh, he wanted hell, and hell is what he got. <laughs> Boom. And then, um, and then, like you know, after that, and then she's all like, you know, like Frank died and stuff, and he was getting resurrected back. And then my favorite part is just like Julie, that bitch. She lured all those guys to help Frank. <laughs> so her narration was pretty. I thought her narration was pretty funny during during the. The whole thing. But basically, we got the recap of the whole first movie. And then, of course, you know, with Frank portraying Julie and stuff. And and then she goes on and she's like, you believe me, right? Am I crazy? <laughs> and I was like, fuck, you no. tell me that story. And like, no, you're not. You're fine. And then, of course, the doctor was like, I don't you're like fine. using that crazy word. But we do need to have a discussion <laughs> about more of your, your what's going to be happening. So, and then after this, now we have arrived at Philip his house and i thought this is very clever because of what we'll be seeing later but his house is all white you know like super white walls white floors and everything mm-hmm. white furniture everywhere and uh we kind of get like a um a look into his i guess his like room where he collects different materials everywhere mm-hmm um, his kind his room actually his room basically has you know books in it. It has like 
um, dead things in jars in there. You know, yeah. I, I, at first I thought it was like that room that we had in like the, 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 what's it called? The Conjuring series where they had a bunch of like possessed shit everywhere. So it's kind of like that kind of style room. So this is at nighttime and the assistant, Kyle, he breaks in and like his, his commentary during this is kind of funny. He was like breaking in. He's like, oh, weird. Oh, oh, that's weird. Oh, fuck. That's really weird. Okay. Like everything was just like weird. And this is pretty interesting too, because we do see three boxes. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Three uh, magical opening portals to sex, torture, demon uh, boxes there. And there's three of them, which is very interesting because I don't remember them talking about any of these other boxes. So somehow we have three mean, boxes. In this movie or any of the movies? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't really remember the other. We're not, we're not, I'm talking about the first movie and this movie. We have now been introduced yeah, to three I mean. boxes. Yes. Yeah. So I, well, I saw those and I'm like, so there could be more than one box or maybe the other boxes are fakes. Cause oh, I was yeah, thinking maybe, maybe yeah. he spent all these years like trying to find the puzzle box and everyone he's bought has been fake so far. Yes. Um, but then, you know, now he's on to, you know, Kirsty has, has, has the real box now, yes. I guess. And then during this, we, somehow we like we go back to the uh, the the hospital, the the ground level hospital, but also too, you know, the Kyle he's going through a bunch of notes, and we see stuff that talks about Latiathan. We see children of the vortex. Uh, we see this like Nazi looking officer who looks a lot like Pinhead because it is, mm-hmm. uh, and and his books and stuff. So we see that this Doctor Philip he. Basically, in this story, we're like, okay, well, he knows what's going on. So he knows all about the Cenobites. He knows all about this box to, to transfer them to this lair. He has done his research on it, and it looks like he is very interested in this. So that's why he's taking the mattress. That's why he's very interested in Christy, because she, she knows some stuff, and that's probably why she has that Tiffany girl there, too. So it's all making sense now. And, of course, Kyle, he's confused. He's like, well, fuck, this is confusing. I I can't put two to two together right here. Can't can't something's going on. Yeah, something's going on. I just on can't here. put my finger on it. Still, uh, I'm not sure what it is. And of course, now Philip has come in and he's having the people bring in the mattress. Okay. And this scene is probably the most fucked up scene I've seen in a long time, and it was definitely the most fucked up scene in this movie. Okay. Hmm. So he brings okay. in the mattress. Okay, and he also brings in the get them off me guy. Yep. Okay, and so I guess this guy, his illness is he thinks maggots are all over him. All right, and he brings him in there very slowly. He puts him on the mattress, and he gives this motherfucker a razor. Ugh. Yep, to get him off of him. To get him off. Oh, and I'm a, oh, that guy was going to town on his body. I was like, fuck. Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> that shit was crazy. I was like, damn, no wonder this guy's fucking got like an X rating. Ugh. This fucking stabbing his fucking everywhere, bleeding on this fucking mattress. And this thing was pretty cool because, you know, he's fucking bleeding all this shit on this mattress and stuff. And then Julia just grabs his ass. And which is kind of weird because I guess in the first movie, Frank, you know, he only had like a little blood. So he probably didn't get informed all the way, but maybe because this was a lot of blood. That's why Julia kind of had like a like a updated form quickly. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's what I was guessing because I yeah. couldn't figure out why 
she she basically like it took him a long time to be yeah. like a bunch of bodies to be able to like look like a person again. Exactly. But she was basically fully formed with no skin. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I could think of just maybe because there's more blood at the beginning. I don't know. So anyway, the Batman music plays a little bit. And she yep. eventually grabs um, the, the, the guy because he fights a little bit back and forth a little bit. But he eventually grabs him and she starts sucking down the rest of his skin. Um, and then, of course, Kyle's looking at this whole thing and he's like, oh, fuck. What did I get myself into over here? And we think, you know, they do one of those scenes where the guy's about to grab the curtain that Kyle's behind, but he doesn't. She, he, the Julia gets him. And the doc, you know, the Philip, he's like fucking shocked. He's like, oh, what the hell's going on? Uh, and then, and then Julia's first line is, well. <laughs> <laughs> well. So, so now we have some lightning outside. We have Tiffany playing with her box. I don't really sound that right. Tiffany's playing with her toy. Okay. Is that so, any better? Yes. So, <laughs> oh, God damn it. That's not better. <laughs> She's playing with the magical uh, toy box. Okay. Anyway, I'm just going to go on. So, <laughs> we're back at the, we're Philip's house. Julia is now walking around and she has like, you know, of course, you know, they did this on purpose. She's like fucking skin. She's like one of those things from attacking the Titans or something. She's all skinned out and shit. And yeah. she, of course, there's a her handprints on on the uh, on the wall. She looks in the mirror and she fucking shatters that shit. And then she's like, "I'm cold." And of course, she goes and goes and picks out an outfit. And of course, it has to be a white suit. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you're bleeding profusely, if you have no skin on, white's the best thing to wear. Yes, exactly. And then she's all like, "How does it look? Does it look strange?" <laughs> well, I mean, you yeah. don't have any skin, yeah. so this whole thing looks strange. Yes. <laughs> But hey, you know. Yeah, and then like of course she she starts to drink a little wine. She smokes a little bit, and then um, then this is like I guess like this is this part's a little weird too. So she's like basically she's now flirting with Philip over here. Or she goes up to him, she goes for a kiss, and she fucking brings his hand to her fucking skin butt and shit, and they start kissing and stuff. He touches her. Uh, uh, non-skin titty. <laughs> and then now she says, now all we need is skin. So basically... All we need she, is skin. Yes. So basically now she is... The roles have been reversed. Julia is now Frank, and then Philip is now Julia. So Julia... Frank is... Frank's new mission... I mean, Julia's new... Fuck. Philip's <laughs> new mission is to get some skin for our girl Julia. Yep. So, of course, we say skin, and now we see Chris. She's taking a shower and stuff. And eventually when she dries up, she sees Kyle in the room. And Kyle's like, oh, shit, it's all true. Everything you're saying was true. She had no skin. She had no skin. And, of course, and then uh, Chrissy's all pissed off now because, like, fuck, Julie does not deserve to come back to life. So I need to go out and stop her. And, of course, they're going back and forth. And eventually she's like, you're not going to stop me. And then Kyle's like, hold on a second. He's coming with him. And, of course, and this is weird because we're seeing, like, okay, well, maybe we have now replaced Steve with Kyle. You know what I mean? It's mm, like the well, guy yeah. who's gonna be like, maybe he, you know, he'll be like the, uh, the, 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 the heroine or like you know the love interest now of Christy or something like that. Maybe right. they'll grow to maybe they'll be like demons sitting by killers together or something. Maybe, but, but boy, are we wrong? Or we won't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And then, of course, you know, uh, the big thing about uh, Christy is also she wants to save her dad. So she also, you know, wants to, like, try to figure out how to get back into this hell to see if she can help her dad save him from the hell. So, so now we have Julie and Philip. They are now um, getting things ready to evil music and lightning. So they basically got. So this is this is like warp speed. So you know how like in the first movie, like Julie, we she had to go to the bar and shit to get like guys and stuff. This yeah. fucking Philip in about. Three or five minutes has like four girls lined up. I'm like fuck. <laughs> so like that's like we basically get like a uh, a montage <laughs> of Julie <laughs> like sucking down the skin to make herself uh you know about to be in fo- hold. And of course um we also see her getting wrapped up like a mummy as well. So she's wrapped yeah, up so like a mummy. Yeah, so she doesn't bleed out everywhere. Yes, exactly. So it's wrapped up like a mummy. We got her wrapped up like a mummy. We got all these girls hanging from like this like room and stuff. And she eventually starts absorbing all of them. And then through all this stuff, you know, after they've done making out and everything, they're getting it on and everything. Uh, we eventually see that Julie has now shown up and now she is back. She is back to normal. She has her skin on her now. So we have a scene of the Philip. He's leaving and stuff. And this is when Kyle... And Christy, they have now showed up to Phillips' house. All right. So they go um, they go to the room that had the mattress on it. And then Christy, she sees, like, the boxes and stuff on there. She's looking all kind of weird. And, and Kyle's like, you know, hey, let's stick together and stuff. Because uh, uh, Christy just wants to go out and try to find, you know, the, the like, portals and stuff for Julie. And he's like, no, no, no. We got to stick to here for first. Um, but then Kyle's like, listen, I'm going to go check out the rest of the house. You stay here, you know? So he doesn't want her to go off. He wants her to stay like around this room and he's going to go because he knows the house, I guess a little better. So Kyle's trying to break into this one room, but he runs into Julie out there. And this is when she's like, Hey, you know, you don't want to go in there. And the thing that was in there was terrible. And he's like, is it still in there? She's like, I think so. And then they eventually go into the room um, that had uh, Julia where she killed all those girls. Uh, so we see all those dead bodies hanging. Uh, this is when Kirsty, she's looking through those same uh, photos and everything that uh, Kyle was at the beginning. And she sees the, the, the guy who looks like Pinhead. And she takes that photo and she ke- keeps it with her because she looks kind of confused. Um, this is when we got uh, Julie. She comes into the room. And then th- basically this is when she um, starts attacking Kyle. So eventually they start going back and forth. And then Kyle, he never had a chance. He basically just his ass kicked quick and fucking destroyed over there. So he Yeah, did- well, I mean, he always started kind of behind everything anyway. You know? yes. It took him forever to figure out that all this was real. And, you know, yep. you know. Yeah, they got him and they fucking just, she sucked him down with his her hand. The whole, the whole the hand gimmick. So Christy, she hears a noise. She takes the pinhead picture. She asks for Kyle. Uh, she goes into that room, sees all the dead, dead people in the room, and she's like, "Oh no!" She's like, "Not again!" And then not again. <laughs> we did and, this last time. And then of course Julie's there. She's like, um, "She's like, you have good taste in men." 
And then uh, she goes on saying, mm-hmm. like, you know, I am not uh, the the evil uh, step queen anymore. I am now. I'm like the evil, like, uh, evil queen now. So basically just doing, like, shots and stuff. She tries to fight her and everything. Uh, and then after she eventually, like, knocks out Kirstie and stuff, the doc shows up. And he shows up with that little girl, Tiffany. And then she has Tiffany work on the box. Because mm-hmm. the Philip wants to see what the Cenobite land looks like. And, of course, Julia, she's been there. So she's all happy about taking him there to the Cenobite land. Um, let's see. They And then during this, they watch through a window. So they're watching through a window for all this stuff to happen. Eventually, Tiffany opens the box. Um, this is when we get all the Cenobites. They kind of, they kind of like come in. Boy, this is a cool scene where they're all like walking in and stuff. It kind of reminds me of like some sort of like, it's like a metal band is coming in. Yeah. Or like a wrestling entrance. Yeah, I thought sweet. I thought that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Like they they really did the pen the uh, pinheads the uh, Cenobites really well in this movie. I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so they come in stuff. All the glass is breaking and stuff. All the doors are opening and stuff. They enter like fucking like like they're like some sort of rock band. It was awesome. And so pinhead they come in there and stuff and they're looking and he's all like. It's like, this is not, I, I couldn't exactly tell what he was saying because there's a lot, a lot of music going on. But he's basically saying, like, it is, mm-hmm. this is not hands. This is a desire. So we can't, you know, this is not like, this is some sort of desire that's happening. So they didn't want to take this Tiffany girl. Because usually when you open the box, they want to take you. But then when they got mm-hmm. in here, they're saying, like, this is not by hands. This is by desire. So they all leave. So, so since it's all, the portals are open now. This is when we get Philip and Julie. They actually go through the Cenobite cave. All right. And we see the Cenobites leaving the girl alone. And and this is when we get the, uh, the the box, you know, puts itself back together. And then we have some, like, clown music playing for some reason. <laughs> clown music. Yes. yes. But, yeah, so <clears throat> so they didn't take Tiffany because you have to you have to be looking for for them, right? Yeah, I think like you gotta the, be like looking. The desire is there to look for the the pleasure and pain or whatever, and she yeah. was just told to figure out the puzzle. Yeah, so ba- yeah, so basically, you gotta be like searching for something, like searching for desire or pleasure, or like some sort of like thrill, and right, and, and right. in your heart while you're doing this. So yeah, she, she didn't even do- know what it was. Yeah, she didn't even know what it was, so it doesn't it doesn't work that way. So Kirsty wakes up. She grabs. She goes into that room. Grabs the box. Uh, she goes into the Cenobite lair now because it's been open and it hasn't closed yet. Um, she's asking for her daddy and stuff. Where are you? The Tiffany girl, she's following the clown music or the circus, kind of like the circus clown music throughout the whole place. Um, and then she she arrives in like this carnival area and this is when it gets a little backstory of hers. I guess she was like, there's like this house of mirrors and stuff and this I guess it was her mom saying, help me daughter. Uh, we see like a clown with some bloody eyes. That looked pretty cool. Um, and then like you know, it, it, they're saying like lip sealed. You know, she's walking through this maze. Um, Christy's looking all around the place to looking for her dad. Around here. Um, uh, this is when so- Christy goes inside the house and then she sees like pictures of her family and everything, and they start bleeding. Yeah. No. So this is like the part when they get to the. They're, they're walking through the little area. So is yeah, the Cinnabite layer. So yeah, the Cinnabite layer. So is it, are they in a maze or are they in a labyrinth? 
Well, so everybody's going off in their own place. Okay. Right, okay. So our first Tiffany is now going into like a like a like kind of a clown clown area. She's basically reliving like the the thing that tormented her. Which yeah, was no, her, no, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, which was her mom and her like you know getting stabbed or something like that or and saying like you know watch out. And then of course Tiffany's going is trying to go back to the house that she originally you know the dad died in to kind of find him. And then we get mm-hmm. uh, we get Julie and Philip. They're kind of like walking through. They're they're about to go into a labyrinth type of place. Right. Okay. I got you. Yeah. I'm I'm with you now. Yes. So this is when you know when when all the house and the pictures start bleeding. This is when the Cenobites show up. And then she's like, the, they all send them. They, they kind of like surround. Um, they, they they surround Christy now, and they're all like, "You thought thought we thought we lost you. <laughs> you can't send us back now." So they're like, oh shit, they're they're good. They finally cornered our girl Christy over here. Yep. But she made a deal with them in the first movie, so they shouldn't even be after her. Yes. Well, I mean, they got what they she, they got what they wanted. Yes, and then and then of course you know some of them are like you're so eager to play with us, uh, and and show all the treasures that we are, and she's like, no, I came here for my father. And like your father is in hell. He's in his own personal hell. Which is weird because he never did anything wrong, really. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I guess he's just I don't know. Maybe Yeah, that's kinda weird too. Like I guess I don't know. Yeah, he didn't really do anything wrong, did he? He just basically no, really. just got tricked and killed. But I guess Yeah, he, he was just hell. tricked and killed. Maybe yeah, it's some sort so. of like crazy like person we didn't know about behind the scenes. Who knows? <clears throat> so it's like he's like no more you know no more playing around or you know when a reason you know start to like you know get your flesh like they basically want the flesh and this is when we see Julie and Philip they're walking around stuff um this is when the dogs look into different rooms he sees like this weird Julia and Frank getting it on dream sequence Julia says like you know come I have such sights to show you and then, of course, she gives the evil eye like she's something going on. Yeah, so she's using the pinhead line. Yes. So, basically, the Cenobites are going to let Tiffany wander their lair because they're going to come back to her later. They're like, okay, well, we got plenty of time. You can't wish us away. We're going to kill you and torture you and shit. But you can you can look around for a little bit before we do that. And and she's like, oh, I can't? He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll get We'll get back with you. That's basically what happened. Mm-hmm. So Julie says, um, she goes, Chrissy says, um, she goes up to Tiffany. You know, she finally, finally, Chrissy, you know, looks and she finds Tiffany. And um, this is when we have Julie, she shows the doctors the sites. This is when we go into that huge, like, CGI fucking labyrinth area. Uh, yes. uh, Chrissy shows, like, you know, so like, hey, I, I need your help closing this box and stuff. Can you, can you help me and stuff? And of course, Tiffany doesn't speak anything. So she's like, okay, you're going to help me? Let's help me get this box so we can get my dad and get out of here. All right. So now Julia, um, uh, Julia and the doc, they're, they're walking to the maze city now. All right. And this is when we get the whole, like, Leviathan thing. So the, so the person behind the Cenobites, the person behind the box, the globe-like structure, <laughs> or like that, that, what do you call that? What is it? Kind of like a, it kind of looked like a, a, a sphere a little bit. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you would call that. It's like a, 
It's like a like a diamond. Yeah, like a diamond like yeah. Yeah, a yeah, diamond like structure. Yeah. A okay. diamond like structure, yeah. It's Which looks a little bit like the puzzle box. Yes. Lothiathan yes. is the man behind everything. He yeah. creates the, the center of flesh, hunger, yes. and desire. Yes. He creates everything. He's creating his lair, the, the stuff, and he has all the sites that they could show you. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, Julia was going on like, this is what you wanted to see and everything. And she, long story short, she basically puts him into a torture box. And now we have Philip. He is now being turned to a Cenobite. Because Julia's whole thing was like, okay, you wanted to see what it was like and see what all the, all the mystery was. And here's the mystery. Here's the mystery behind it all. So we see him uh, being now transformed. Yeah, so I wonder why she didn't become a Cenobite or why Frank didn't become a Cenobite. Well, because they had sex with each other. Oh, I got it. Okay. Okay. I guess uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. <laughs> because I maybe maybe it's like you have to have like a trait to become a maybe, Cenobite. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Pinhead was an officer. Well, actually, no, because we're we're about to see all these weird Cenobites and what their backstory kind of was too. <laughs> so I can't really explain that at all. But yes. So now Christy goes into um, the house that kind of looks like the father's house. And she's, she's basically telling Tiffany, like, hey, I got to go in here. If I'm not in a couple of seconds, get out of here. Okay? But I'll try to make this quick. All right? So she tells Tiffany basically to stay right there. She opens the door, and there's, like, all candles everywhere, around everywhere. And then there's, like, the scene where, like, it's like, uh, it's like these bodies are coming in and out of, like, little mini, like, caves. And yeah, yeah. they're all like, like <clears throat> orgasming, I guess you could say, humping the air. Yeah, yeah. And then that's uh, what it is. And then out of nowhere, we see Frank has now showed up, and because we see like this whole like layer with like red lipstick and Frank and pictures and stuff, and Frank shows up. He's in like his normal version, like his flash and everything yeah regular frank yes and he's talking about like you know i lured you here this wasn't your dad i tricked you again yeah i tricked you and stuff she's all like i thought you were dead frank and stuff and she's like well you know frank's like when you're dead you're fucking dead okay (laughs) (laughs) and then like you know the uh the girls are humping all turn into red now he grabs her and stuff he's basically saying like you know you're gonna be with me from now on. I tricked you to get you down here so you can you could take me and you can you know basically like I guess like take him and and be with him or something like that. He uh, Frank wants to make uh, Kirsty basically like like his slave, so he's like you know you know see what to do. And then Kirsty was like basically she's like okay I'll, I'll do it I'll do it, and then she's like not really. She said I'd rather burn than uh, than than trust you and stuff. Then she eventually like grabs one of the, 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 the candles and throws it onto like some of the sheets that were like the things where the humping were. And eventually the whole place like, goes on fire and eventually Frank goes on fire too. Yep. And he's and, like, no! Yeah. And of course, Julia shows up. All right. And <laughs> this, this part is funny. Julia shows up and everything. 
he's on fire a little bit, right? But then he like the Frank's like skin he gets ripped off and stuff. Like so he's basically back to his skinless form. You know, Julie shows yeah. up and he's all like, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd mm. come. He's like, you, the, the, you know, you always kept your promise. So he's saying like she kept her promise because she promised to always like keep him alive. And of course, you know, Julie eventually doesn't keep him alive. She basically gets her revenge. Yep. And she, she takes Shh. out. She grabs his heart and takes him out. And she's like, nothing personal. So we have the we have the old heel being the new heel taking care yep. of the, the old heel. Yep. I forgot that right. She just destroys. She just destroys Frank. Julie is basically the Hulk Hogan of Hellraiser because she has to get her win back. Yeah, that's true. But then something's about to happen, though. Yes. Anyway. So, Christy and T try to, uh, Tiffany try to escape. All right. And apparently they get like, there's like this whole portal thing that's trying to suck them in or something. And the, so we see during while this is happening, we see the giant box that Philip was put in. And he is truly now into a Cenobite mode. And he was like, to think I hesitated. So he sounds basically like Pinhead now. And mm. then like this part was weird. So then some sort of like slimy 80s demon creature like just attaches to his head. <laughs> and then now yeah. he can fly. So he looks like a normal Cenobite. Like some sort of like a, like fucking black metal singer. You know what I mean? In his Cenobite uniform. But then he has some sort of 80s uh, demon that is now attached to him, like his head and his arms and stuff. So it's very, and then now he could fly throughout everything too. And like, he's just saying a bunch of like doctor words. He's just saying a bunch <laughs> of doctor words, yeah. And like, it seemed very, I don't know, like his design was really weird because like, yeah, you say that he was flying. What I took it as is like, He's attached to something in his head that just moves him around. Yeah. Of course, that doesn't explain anything else that he does for the rest of the movie. But yeah, but yeah so he's like hang, kind of hanging there sort of in midair saying his doctor words. So like during this part where, you know, Kirsty and, T- and, and Tiffany are trying to, they're about to get sucked to this portal. Uh, Julia rhymes and she's about to grab, she's trying to grab Tiffany too. But then eventually they, they get the upper hand. And apparently, the skin grabs Tiffany, and then Julie gets sucked out of her skin and gets sucked into the portal. So now she is now a skin creature now. And then they see yeah. Julia's skin just, like, laying there. Yeah, that was kind of gross. Yes. It was just, like, rubber. I mean, you could just tell it was rubber yeah. with, like, Vaseline or something on it. But it was just, like, this gross, like, skin. It was, like, it was disgusting. So now Christy and, and Tiffany arrive at the hospital. Okay, they're back at the hospital. I guess it's just during, this is like normal, this normal layer. Christy apologizes to her dad. I don't know, sure why, I mean, you got tricked. That's not your fault. They hug and stuff, and then they're trying to get out of there, trying to get out of the hospital. We see some of the patients, they're playing with the box now. This is when the, this is when we have the, the Cenobite, Philip Creature, he is saying such evil words as the doc is in. Yeah, it's like the here's Johnny moment, right? Yes. From Shining. He's yeah. like flying around. There's some sort of like 80s animated dream. Uh, I think my favorite line what he did was like, 
It's like the doctor orders all lobotomies. And he starts killing wow. all the patients and stuff. Yes. So clever lines. So, yeah. So at this point, there's less than 15 minutes of this movie left or about 15 minutes. Yes. Yeah. So there's not a lot of story in this for the length that it was. I thought it was too, kind of a little bit too long myself. Yeah. Yeah. So they're definitely like, we're, we're, we're picking up steam over here during this part over here. So, um, so yeah, after, after the center mic guy kills, you know, that the, that Philip kills, all some of his patients there. Uh, we have uh, Christy and, and, and Tiffany. They have now arrived, but they got into the Cenobite lair. And of course, the Cenobites have now show up and they're like, time to play. No box, no more deals. It's your flesh. That's what they want. They want their flesh. Yeah, but <laughs> yes. it's just—it's also kind of funny that every, they always seem to show up to get, to, to get uh, Kirsty. But then something always happens and they don't. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so of course, now like, something's about to happen. Yes, they're like, they're like, no more tricking us anymore. Your suffering will be legendary. And then, of course, Christy, she's like, oh, yeah, check this out. So she shows <laughs> Pinhead his old self. And he tells him, like, she's like, this is you. Like, this is you and it's a human. It's like, I don't, I don't. He's like, I don't remember what you're talking about. Who is this person? It's like you have to remember, like this is you. This is how you used to be. You all, you all of you guys used to be humans, apparently. And they're kind of looking. I was like, oh yes, I remember a little bit now. It's coming back to me. <laughs> this is when we have the, I call them the Doctor Demon, <laughs> showing up. Uh, the Philip Demon. Yeah. And they look at him. They're like, that thing's weird. And they're all looking at each <laughs> other a little bit. And they're like, okay, well. We have hooks. Let's hook them. So and <laughs> they try to hook the doctor demon, but apparently he can. The hooks don't work on on this on this um the the Philip demon. They don't work on him. So the Cenobites have somehow turned babyface. In the process, yeah, that was kind of kind of a quick turn there, but yeah, they yes. kind of turned babyface all of a sudden. And then now, like they didn't even put up like a fight. It was kind of weird. So this doctor guy, I guess he has, maybe because he has that slimy 80s demon attached to him, he has some sort of like mega powers because all he did was like shoot some like 80s glue at him and every time he shot one of the demons, they all turned back to their normal form. Yes. I was hoping that you might have a little bit of explanation for this, but it doesn't look like you do either. Yeah, it just seems like they're just like, oh, that's the sin of the cinema. It's like there's no real explanation for why he's able to just destroy them yeah, with like it's, lightning. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, basically like his like demon slime. Well, okay. true. Okay. Demon so, slime. so it's weird. So we have, so he shoots the, the Cenobite girl who was just like a normal female. Okay. Mm. He, he, he shoots, um, the fat one. Was it but, mm-hmm. butter bean or something? But butter, butter ball. I think butter ball, <laughs> butter bean. And it's just some fat dude in an S&M costume, which I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> and then the weirdest one was the chatterbox one. He fucking yeah. shoots him, and it was a kid. And then Tiffany looks at him like, oh, shit, it was a kid the whole time. And I'm like, it's a kid? Like, what? How did that, that must be an interesting story. As I say, I want to see the story of that. Like, how did he end up being the chatterer? Yeah, exactly. And then he shoots the pinhead, and of course, pinhead, like, turns into his normal Doug Bradley Nazi form. And yeah. he smiles like he's happy, and then he dies. Okay. Interesting. 
So, after all this happens, um, after all the Cenobites have now been destroyed, um, this is when the doctors, they slits the, the, the pinhead's throat after he turned to normal. So. so, now the Cenobites are all dead, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly they're all dead. But remember, when you're dead, you're dead. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, this is when the, 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 the Philip demon is now chasing down uh, Christy and Tiffany. And they're in the Leviathan layer, and it's a couple back and forth, and eventually Tiffany she grabs like the uh, the Leviathan puzzle, she grabs the uh, the object. Uh, they see Leviathan up there too. Uh, for some reason, Tiffany has more flashbacks with puzzles, <laughs> and she's like, "It's a puzzle." Okay. <laughs> That's that's to remind us that she can do puzzles in case we forgot in the yes. last 25 minutes. Yes. So now she's going to def- figure out this puzzle now. Uh, she plays the puzzle. Uh, the the Philip grabs Christy. Um, and then eventually she gets the, the stabbed. The, 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 they stab the, the Dominic doctor. I like his tentacles too. Like he has his tentacles with the razor blades in the end of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. He looked, he looked pretty yeah. interesting. Some cool stuff when it comes to him. During all this stuff, you know, they they have a little bit me- melee. Uh, Tiffany's figuring out the box and stuff. Uh, Christy gets a little bit away from the demon. Now Julia shows up. She is back in her skin form. She grabs, and she's like, "Have you come back for a kiss?" Okay. Mm-hmm. And now this Tiffany, she goes, she grabs the object, uh, the box and stuff. Um, Philip, uh, now we have like Demon and Julie, um, kissing. Yeah, they're about to be, yeah, they're making out now, just out of nowhere. Like, they're like, okay, so Julie's back, and then we have this Demon, Cenobite Philip, and instead of destroying their enemies right there, they're like, okay, we're just gonna make out. Let's just make out, yes. And then, of course, like, they're like, now they realize now, they're like, after they, they see him, they're just going to start attacking. So the demon head guy basically gets his head ripped off. All right. Yeah. Then that happened because Tiffany figures out the puzzle, though. Yeah. She figured out the puzzle yeah. and he gets his head yeah. ripped off from it. Um, and during this stuff, um, you know, Julia's about to be falling off. She's like, trust me and stuff. She grabs her arm. And then she, uh, this, there's more skin that rips off. Yeah, that was kind of gross too. And yes. then her skin underneath the skin. Yes. And they basically, this is when Christy and, and Tiffany, they see a Leviathan getting kind of pissed, so they run away. Well, you forgot to mention that it's it's Christy wearing Julia's skin. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. she's sitting there and her face is like falling off, and then she pulls her face off, and it's Christy underneath. Yes. So basically, what happened was. The uh, Christy, she she went into Julia's skin, and she yes. tricked, she tricked the Cenobite Philip into thinking that was Julia, but it wasn't. So they they so they, they he, she killed him, and then yes. she she was gonna rescue Tiffany, and she did, and then she realized that she revealed herself to be Christy this whole time. The thigh thing gets pissed, tries to do some laser laser balls on laser him. stuff. All right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they escape, um, and then they finally get they get back before the portal shuts, and they get back before it shuts, so they're they're okay. 
Yeah, we're home free now. Yes, we're home free. Everything's fine now, right? Nothing yes. could go wrong. So they show up and they're on the hospital and stuff. And Chris, they want to leave. And this is when we see, like, we're back at the doctor's house. Doctor's, uh, Phillips' old house. Um, Packers are moving, taking everything. Uh, this guy's checking this bed. So he's like checking. This guy is like, you know, we see these movers and stuff. We still see the bed over there. The guy's checking out the bed and stuff and kind of looking at it. And then eventually when he's like close to the bed, we see like a, a an arm attack him. And then we get the uh, uh, the the wheel. And then, we, of course, we hear, what is your pleasure, sir? And that ends the movie. Yep. And then we have that little uh, pillar thing show up that yep. we might see in a later movie, possibly. Yes. The so, little pillar with uh, with the it looks like it's it's like like a like a like a really dark Disney ride where everything's like kind of fake looking and you can tell but it you know it, it had like the baby that was like so when its mouth shut and the the skeleton that could barely move and that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. So I thought this this movie had some pretty good stuff to it. Um, you know, definitely something to uh, to check out. Um, you know, like with this one, you know, I thought this one was a little bit more embellished than the yeah, first one was. For sure. You know, we had we had, we had on a couple extra layers. You know, we brought some major characters back. Like we brought like Julie back as like the main villain during the whole movie. Apparently, uh, we had this Philip guy who got turned into a cinnamon demon, and you know. Obviously, he was evil, but he was more like... I guess he was, like, not truly evil until he became a Cenobite guy. Um, we had, like, the Cenobites turning baby face. I wonder if that... Yeah. Key, I wonder if that stays. Like, I mean, obviously, the, the movie is... You know, the biggest stars in the movie are the Cenobites, but I didn't... Yeah. I mean, I didn't... I, I They can't be, like, the the main, like, heroes... I think they're I think they're about the Freddy Freddy the Freddy Krueger them where they're you know like they're still kind of the bad guys but then people start cheering for them yeah you know what I mean so I don't know I think that uh, I it's just like anything else like I like the first one when the Cenobites were a menace and you didn't know really what they were and they were they were scary and then this one they just get wiped out in like ten seconds by this new Cenobite who also gets wiped out in 10 seconds. Um, yeah. I mean, they had so, some good know. scenes and like, I don't think the lines were as good as the first movie was. Yeah. Um, they had some good scenes, you know, w- you know, with them coming out of the, the, uh, the portal and stuff when we first see them in the second movie and stuff. But it's kind of what, it's kind of very interesting to see them has like background characters. Like I'm pretty sure that's going to be different in some of the other movies, but but you know, when it comes to, like these '80s ones, like you know that were in, you know, this one was okay. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of one of those it things okay. where it's like, like let's say there was another one coming out. I don't know necessarily if I would go watch it. I would probably want to watch it just to see if I could see more of the Cenobites in action. You know what I mean? Like little, mm. maybe a little bit more of them, less of like you know the Kirsty character or the Tiffany character or like the Julian Frank character. I mean I'm pretty sure Julian Frank, I mean they probably do come back in some of the sequels, but I mean I'm pretty sure their storyline is kind of like done, you know. I would say so. Yeah, I don't want to see any more Julian Frank. Like this movie was okay. I mean, I didn't love it. Um uh, but it was it was okay. Um the first one's much better, but but this one was okay. It looked really good. Yes. It looked better than the first movie. Like yes. I love the way the labyrinth looked and the way Leviathan looked and 
like those huge matte paintings that they used for the labyrinth look great. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was just, it was, it was okay. It, it doesn't have a lot of story. Of course, the first one didn't either, but this one has even less story. Yeah. This one, like, I mean, we've, yeah, I mean, usually it takes us longer to talk about the movie than the movie lasted, but we, this one's been much shorter than the movie was. Yeah. And then, like, also, too, you know, this is like, this is kind of like the uh, Julie Redemption story. You know what I mean? Like, okay, we saw her turn into a heel in the first movie, but now we are solidifying it. We are making sure yeah. that she is the bad person of the, of the of the movie and possibly the fan tries. And you know, I think I think I definitely they I, I would assume, you know, what I mean, without having to see the other sequels, I would assume that if we were just, you know, talking about this normal in the 80s and, and there was going to make a, a, another one, I would assume that they would focus a little bit more on the Cenobites themselves. Yeah, so though, I mean, I think that's the way they need to go. Like, you know, if we're watching the other ones at some point or, you know, down the road, I would I would think that they need to get away from Kirsty. They need to get away from all the human characters. And it needs to be about different humans finding the puzzle box. Yeah. That's that's what this series should be about, but I don't know if it actually sticks to that or not. And what do you think about this like Leviathan being like the main, the the the, the creature behind everything? I think it's kind of weird. Um, I liked it. I like the idea behind it. I like the idea that, or let me say, I hate when there's supposed to be some huge like godlike being that's behind everything, but when you meet him, he looks human. Yeah. Like I like the fact that he that he just looked like a puzzle box. Yeah, I, I like you know, that like too. he's he's so alien, like he's so alien and so extra dimensional that he doesn't even look like a like a like that he would be alive. Yes, but he is. He's like he he's like the 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 puzzle box is like a representation of what he looks like. Yeah, I thought it's that like their god. You know, yeah, yeah. That, I I love that. Yeah, I thought that was a very creative uh, aspect to do in the film. Was that so? But yeah, everybody, that was Hellraiser Hellbound. So definitely pretty fun. Maybe later on, maybe during one of the Lights Out episodes, we can revisit the Hellraiser series. But since the other ones are made in the 90s, we don't know what they're about. Because we, we don't know. They haven't we, come out yet. We stay in the 80s in this show, so we have no idea. That's yep. why we're speculating what can possibly happen maybe in the future. Mm-hmm. But everybody, join us here next week as we continue Hellfire Month. With mm-hmm. a sweet, sweet review for Allison. Do you want to tell us what it's for? Yeah. So for the next, for the rest of June, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be doing uh, Lucio Fulci's Gates of Hell trilogy, which the first one starts off with uh, City of the Living Dead or Gates of Hell, as it was known when it was released in the United States. And um, you guys will like this one. You should definitely watch it before we talk about it. If you can, I believe it's on Shutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, City of the Living Dead is what they call it there. But yeah, this is, uh, if you thought Hellraiser was gory, just wait till you see this shit. Yeah, buddy. We're about to get raw on this, on this motherfucker here on the Retro Blood. We're getting deep, deep into the Hellfire month. So that's going to be great. So join us here next week. And uh, how about we uh, How about we leave the audience with some, uh, some Hillstar over here? Let's do it. Let's do it. How about we give him a good old track? I like this one. Let's give him the uh, the beginning track of the, uh, the 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 distant thunder. The king is dead. Let's do it. The king is dead. The king is dead. Everybody, 
This has been Retro Blood. This has been Hellraiser Hellbound 2. Join us here next week for City of the Dead. Freaking uh, going to be crazy up in here. Joining us on the Hellfire. And, you know, if you see a box laying around and, uh, you know, you're, you're a doctor and stuff and you, you get a crazy demon getting your head you know shit just happens you know what I mean yeah don't play with your box yeah yeah be careful with that box alright everybody we'll check you later have a good one see you guys Yeah.